who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode is brought to you by Fidelity. Stock have too high a price? Buy a slice. Trade fractional shares of U.S. stocks and ETFs with zero commissions online. Visit fidelity.com slash stocks by the slice. Sell orders are subject to an activity assessment fee from one cent to three cents per $1,000 of principal. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSC, SIPC. You are listening to Episode 6 of Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 15, Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 9th. Back aboard, I found Mr. Schubert at the watch desk looking not very repentant and trying to appear not very interested in the new captain. I looked down the passageway into the ship and saw no one in sight, so I turned back to the watch desk. Did you wish to make a statement, Mr. Schubert? A statement? That should be a statement, sar, Mr. Schubert, or perhaps, sar, I'm not sure what you mean, or even, excuse me, sar. Any of those would indicate your lack of understanding for the request, Mr. Schubert. The operative point I wish to make, however, is that the honorific sar should be included whenever addressing an officer in an official capacity when not specifically using name or title. I took a breath to let him catch up. Do I make myself clear, Mr. Schubert? Not exactly, no. Not exactly know what, Mr. Schubert. Huh? Let me put it in words you might understand, Mr. Schubert. When you address me, you address me as Captain, Captain Wong, or Sar. Repeat after me, Mr. Schubert. Yes, Sar. Yes, Sar. Yes, Captain. Yes, Captain. I, bloody I, Captain Wong, sir. I, bloody I, Captain Wong, sir. Very good, Mr. Schubert. And the next time you choose to play the fool with me, Mr. Schubert, we'll be addressing you as Ordinary Spacer, Schubert. Do you understand me, Mr. Schubert? Yes, sir. Perfectly, sir. Thank you, Mr. Schubert. Carry on. I turned and activated my grav palette as Schubert said, aye, aye. I didn't turn back to him, but froze in place and cocked an ear. Sar. I headed into the ship and found the ladder up just where I'd have expected it to be, right around the corner from the lock. The grav trunk followed right along up the ladder behind me, and I found myself in officer country. 
According to the schematic on my tablet, the cabin was in the forward end of the hall and held pride of place above the lock and across the bow of the ship. I wondered what that would do to my sleeping, having the cabin above the lock, but I remembered. The crew only had eight members, about the same size as a single watch section on the lowest. With that perspective, I suspected I might be grateful to be able to hear when my boys and girls came home in the night. As usual, what I expected completely failed to match what I found. I'd heard that Damien's were small and uncomfortable, but I was used to the unwind barbells and their extremely low overheads. Both ships were 20 meters tall from top to bottom, but the barbells had six decks in that distance, where the Damien's had only four. That made for considerably more overhead room, even in officer country. The main deck felt almost like a ballroom. There were other considerations, but the fact that the crew was pared down to the minimum necessary to stand a three-watch rotation meant that all the space, storage, and logistical requirements were pared down almost geometrically. The tractor carried almost half as much cargo as the barbell, but with less than a third of the crew. Granted, they were mostly officers, but still. The economics of this hull were wildly underappreciated, and I was pondering that when I stepped into the cabin. I don't know what I really expected. The schematic showed the cabin carved out of the crescent of the curved bow by a single straight bulkhead. What the schematic didn't show was the port. I stepped into the cabin, I still had trouble thinking of it as my cabin, and looked straight out to the skin of the orbital. It was shocking. I walked deeper into the cabin and almost up to the armor glass. A low bench was installed around the curve of the bulkhead under the armor glass with a few tatty-looking throw pillows on it. The armor glass itself was a full meter and a half tall, curved back in the smooth arc of the hull, and ran about five meters straight across the bow above the lock. There couldn't have been more than two meters between the outside of the cabin's armor glass and the skin of the orbital. I wondered what the view would be like out in the deep dark. I had to shake myself to break the spell of the window. I looked left and right. The cabin wasn't large in terms of floor space, but it had all the fixtures I thought a cabin should have, including a small conference table, a desk, several repeater screens, a separate sleeping room with its own head, and double grav trunk lockdowns, one in the sleeping room and one on the other side of the cabin tucked under a bump in the outer bulkhead that probably held a shield generator node. Compared to the staterooms I'd been living in, this was practically a palace. I slipped my grav trunk into the secondary lockdown to get it out of the way and pondered my next step. A loud voice in the passage outside reminded me. I opened the door, stepped out of the cabin, and looked down the ladder. Miss Thomas was below, talking to somebody out of sight down the passageway. Miss Thomas, if you have a moment, would you join me in the cabin? I'm kind of busy at the moment, Captain. I blinked and looked down at her. She turned back to the conversation already in progress and resumed her discussion of what sounded like the menu for the noon meal. I realized I needed to get a better feel for the state of the ship, so I dropped down the ladder for a closer look at what could be important enough to ignore a summons to the cabin. A weedy-looking officer wearing cargo pips on his collar was standing in an open passageway into what looked like the combination galley and mess deck. He seemed slightly taken aback to be confronted so summarily, but I smiled and held out a hand. You must be Mr. Wyatt. I'm the new guy. He took my hand in a half-hearted shake and blinked rapidly several times. Yes, hello. His eyes finally flickered to the stars on my collar and back to my face. Captain. 
Ishmael Huang off the William Tinker. Yes, Captain, I've some of your coffee here. The messman was quite insistent that I take them, the buckets. Oh, I hope he wasn't an inconvenience. Oh, no, Captain, quite polite, just determined. My apologies for the zeal of my former crew. They were anxious to get off on the best foot possible with Captain Delman as well. He nodded absently, looking slightly lost, back and forth between the first mate and me. Miss Thomas gave me a rather sharp look, as if in rebuke for interrupting her conversation, and continued to talk with Wyatt. I was really hoping we could get some of those sausages from Maurice for lunch. Are you certain you tried, Avery? Yes, Gwen, I did. Maurice sold out yesterday. You know he only makes a few each day. They're very popular. How are we coming on the resupply of the larder? We'll need enough to get us through to Jed. I wasn't sure if I needed to interrupt this cafe clatch or not. On the one hand, a discussion of one of the crewman's preferences in the lunch menu was hardly worth my time. On the other, a discussion of having sufficient stores to make the next port perhaps should be. Avery Wyatt was supposed to be good with stores. Looking at him, I wondered if he could find a noodle in a pasta factory. The two of them ran down after only a few more ticks, and Wyatt turned to head back into the galley while Thomas headed back towards the brow. Miss Thomas, the cabin, if you please. I was just going to check on Schubert, Captain. I appreciate that, Miss Thomas, but please join me in the cabin now. Mr. Schubert can wait unless you're aware of some emergency that has not been made public in the ship. Oh, no, Captain, I was just going to check to make sure he hasn't gone back to sleep. Miss Thomas, he wasn't asleep before. The cabin, if you please. I started up the ladder and was halfway up before I realized that Miss Thomas wasn't behind me. Miss Thomas? She looked up at me, then out to the brow, and then actually paused. I presume she paused to decide which direction to go. The cabin, Miss Thomas, it's this way. She flushed angrily, turned toward the foot of the ladder, and started up. I continued on into the cabin, and she came after me. Please close the door, Miss Thomas. I don't think that's wise, Captain. Why is that, Miss Thomas? Because it would be unseemly for a male and female to be closeted without chaperone, Captain. Is my virtue at risk, Miss Thomas? Do you have designs upon me already? She flushed again. No, certainly not, Captain. That's preposterous. Then please accept my heartfelt assurances that I never screw with crew and that your virtue is safe from me, Miss Thomas. Have I made that clear? Well, yes, Captain, but Miss Thomas, shut up. What? I said, shut up. For a wonder, she did. Close the cabin door, Miss Thomas. I'm not in the habit of discussing personnel matters in the open passageway. But, Miss Thomas, I gave you an order. I suggest you follow it. She turned and closed the cabin door. Thank you, Miss Thomas. I took a seat behind the desk. She started to sit across from me. You will stand at attention, Miss Thomas. I need to make some things clear to you before we go any further. But, I looked at her. I didn't say anything. She subsided, but she was not braced at attention. Are you not familiar with the form of attention, Miss Thomas? I can get Mr. Schubert up here to demonstrate for you if you wish. No, Captain, that won't be necessary. She glowered, but she braced. Thank you, Miss Thomas. I sat there and looked at her for several long ticks. To her credit, only her eyes moved, and just ever so slightly. She didn't actually break her gaze from the point just across the cabin. Now, 
let's get some things clear, Miss Thomas. I am your boss. When I ask you nicely to do something, please consider that a direct, immediate, and imperative order. When you receive such an order, I expect you to carry it out immediately, without discussion and without question, unless that order is unclear, or unless you believe the order is illegal, or unless you believe the order puts the ship or her crew in danger. Do I make myself clear, Miss Thomas? Yes, Captain. Good. Sometimes those orders will not be verbal. For example, this morning on the lock... Oh, I'm so sorry about that, Captain Schubert. Shut up, Miss Thomas. The ship is not in danger. No crew is at risk. You are at attention. You are talking when you should be listening. She stood silently. Thank you, Miss Thomas. As I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted, this morning on the lock I gave you one of those nonverbal orders. I saw you see me shake my head. That head shake was to tell you not to berate Mr. Schubert in front of the owner of the line. I had a very good reason for that order, Miss Thomas. I saw you when you decided to ignore that order and berate Mr. Schubert anyway. Do you have any explanation of why you did that, Miss Thomas? Sar, Schubert is a miscreant and a troublemaker. He goes out of his way to cause problems on the ship. He regularly falls asleep on watch. He is repeatedly derelict in his duty. He needed to be reprimanded, Captain. Thank you, Miss Thomas. I appreciate your input on this matter. What was the purpose of this reprimand? To teach him a lesson, Captain. He cannot skylark and not have there be consequences. And what consequences would those be, Miss Thomas? For the first time, she seemed confused. I don't understand the question, Captain. What consequences did your reprimand visit upon Abel Spacer Schubert? She blinked several times before answering. Well, the reprimand itself, Captain. You're referring to the actual tongue lashing itself? That's the consequence of which you speak. Well, yes, sir. That had to have been unpleasant. She seemed quite proud of herself. Well, let me commend you on your creativity, image choice, and actual language usage, Miss Thomas, and I do freely admit it was unpleasant. Thank you, Captain. You miss my point, Miss Thomas. It was unpleasant for everyone except Mr. Schubert, and possibly you. Let me assure you that I found it exceptionally unpleasant, and that Mr. Maloney found it a good representation of why this ship is considered the worst in the fleet. She stood there silently. Her mouth would start to open, but she never found the handle. Because you were unaware of my petty insistence that my orders be followed, I will grant you a pass on the incident in the lock. Further, because you and I had not yet had this little discussion to establish the ground rules on our professional relationship, I will ignore the three flagrant cases of insubordination you are guilty of in the passageway below. And since this is a friendly discussion of the way we will be working together, I'll overlook all the times I have had to repeat simple orders here in the cabin before you were willing to actually follow them. When this discussion is over, that amnesty will be at an end. You are my first mate the good right hand of any captain, and I need to know that my right hand will do what I expect. When I need it to clench, I expect it to clench. When I need it to open, it must open. And when I need it to hold, by the gods, it will hold. Do I make myself clear, Miss Thomas? Yes, Captain. 
And are you willing to do it, Miss Thomas? Are you willing to be my good right hand? Yes, Captain. Do you think I'm making unreasonable or unreasoned demands upon you? I want you to tell me now, Miss Thomas. No, Captain, I do not think you're making unreasonable demands. And are you able to do it, Miss Thomas? I gave her a lot of credit at that point, because she didn't just sound off. She tried a couple of times before she found an answer. Captain, I don't know. I think so, and I think I'd like to try my best to do it. I think so too, Miss Thomas, and I believe you can do it. Thank you, Captain. Okay, now that we've had our little talk, why don't you go prop that door open and have a seat? We've got a lot of work to do in a short time, and we best get at it. The painters will be here shortly, and I want to tour the ship while they're busy in here. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com r-e-a-l-m now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash realm. Adventure has its own style. It's made of tall trees, unpaved trails, and at the center, the most capable Subaru Forester yet, the 2024 Subaru Forester Wilderness. It comes with 9.2 inches of ground clearance paired with standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and advanced dual-function X-Mode. Discover adventure on a deeper level. The 2024 Subaru Forester Wilderness. To explore all you can do with the rugged Subaru Wilderness family of vehicles, visit Subaru.com wilderness. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Chapter 16, Diurnia Orbital. 2372, January 9th. Once I got her attention, Miss Thomas demonstrated a thorough knowledge of the ship and her systems. 
The ship itself wasn't terribly complicated. It was a basic egg shape, 20 meters in diameter, and slightly elongated on its axis of travel. The back end was chopped off square. That's where we linked up with our cargo containers, up to three of them at a time. The front end had a standard 10-meter universal docking ring, just like every other clipper in the universe. We had sail and keel, some small maneuvering thrusters, a Burleson drive, and enough fuse actors to keep it all going for a few stanniers. As the painters were working on the cabin, we crawled from keel to bridge, and she gave me a rundown on each system. At 1200, we adjourned to the eat-in galley. It was a compact space with two rather utilitarian four-seater table units bolted to the desk and a serviceable-looking galley with range top, two ovens, grill, chiller, and the requisite sinks and storage. Just looking at it, I thought maybe it would be sufficient to feed two or three times the crew we were rated for. I looked at the coffee mess and was pleased to see that it was small but commercial-grade with a pair of thermal carafes and a spigot for boiling water. The crew who were aboard and awake joined us for lunch. I counted noses and realized that it was most of the crew. The enormity of what I'd done sank in as all five of us settled down to lunch. I was a bit taken aback to see Wyatt had opened a can of soup and put out a loaf of bread and some sad-looking cold cuts. This appeared to be a normal lunch mess. I sighed and made a note on my tablet. Wyatt may know stores and how to purchase, but it didn't look like he knew how to eat at all. The newcomer to the lunch party was a cute young woman who looked to be maybe 30, with nicely cropped sandy brown hair, a peaches and cream cliché face, and the collar pips of chief engineer. It seemed that Gretchen Gearhart was not what I expected either. She smiled pleasantly when introduced and apologized for not being awake when I'd come aboard. I'm sorry for not being here when you arrived, Captain. I got the messages when I awoke, but I had the overnight watch and racked out before the messages came in. She seemed pleasant and competent enough. The engineering spaces that I'd toured seemed clean and well-maintained. I wondered idly what she'd done to warrant assignment to the Agamemnon. Mr. Schubert grabbed a sandwich, a cup of soup, and a drink and returned to the brow. I had to admit the ship was set up very nicely for shorthanded operations, with the mess deck just inside the lock, the call buzzer would be clearly audible from the galley, and probably anywhere else on the main deck. Crew berthing was just across the corridor, and the three ratings shared a rather spacious single room where bunks were ranged in a single line up the bulkhead. The high clearance made the three-up arrangement of sleeping quarters actually more spacious than those I'd used on the lowest, and which the crew of the Tinker were used to. Hanging all three bunks on a single wall left a relatively large floor area and much larger gear lockers than normal. After the crew quarters, there was even a small workout room with a single treadmill, a weight machine, and a stationary bike. I began to wonder where the stories about tractors being cramped came from. The foreman of the paint crew showed up at the door to the galley before I could get a handle on either Wyatt or Gearhart, but on the surface they seemed personable and used to Miss Thomas's volume. Excuse me, folks, but if the captain would care to see if there's any place we missed? I grabbed a swig of soup and rose to follow him up to the cabin. They'd done a very nice job on the painting, and the yellow color worked nicely to brighten the space without being overpowering. I'd picked a pair of low-saturation yellows and liked the way the two tones played. Excellent, Mr. Jameson. My compliments to you and your crew for such excellent work on such short notice. He beamed. Our pleasure, Captain. We'll be out of here in a few ticks. The paint should be mostly dry in a stand. You'll be able to work here then, but I'd refrain from hanging pictures or anything for at least two. 
Thank you, Mr. Jameson. I'll be working on the bridge this afternoon anyway. He nodded and signaled his paint crew. I got out of their way and headed back down to the galley. When I got there, my soup was cold and the bread on my sandwich was already drying out. I chewed anyway. It hadn't been much of a meal to begin with, and I had bigger fish to fry. I turned to the chief engineer. What's our status in engineering, Miss Gearhart? Status, Captain? Fuel, spare parts, environmental controls. Are we ready to get underway? Oh, I think so, Captain. She smiled and shrugged. The fusactors are fueled and ready. Maneuvering mass is topped off. We've got 80% on the tanks, and they should be topped by the end of the watch. We've got enough air filters for a year and full spares. She delivered the report in a kind of a whispery sing-song soprano into her soup mug. It made it hard to hear her and harder still to take her report as credible. I had no reason to doubt her, but made a mental note to double-check her report. Thank you, Chief. Are there any equipment outages, maintenance issues? No, Captain. The scrubbers are up to snuff. Number one is due in two days, number two in nine. Gray water and dark water processing is clear. Particulates and gases are within parameter. All equipment is operating normally and within service lifetime ratings. She never looked up once or raised her voice beyond the sing-song. I began to appreciate why she might be aboard. That sounds good, Miss Gearhart. Thanks. Mr. Wyatt, stores? Stores, Captain. Yes, Mr. Wyatt, stores, food supplies, operational materials. Oh, yes, Captain. We've got a full pantry, and I think operational stores are up to snuff. You're the designated supply officer, Mr. Wyatt. He looked confused. I'm not sure we have one, Captain. I just order what the Captain tells me to. Miss Thomas, is there no supply officer in our little chain of command? Sorry, Captain, not that I know of. Captain Delman kept track of that. Avery here just ordered whatever the skipper said. I began to see a pattern. Training officer? They looked at each other before Miss Thomas responded. No, Captain. Morale officer. Miss Gearhart giggled. But Miss Thomas said, no, Captain. I sipped the cold soup and digested what I'd learned a bit before speaking. Who's the O.D. right now? Miss Thomas spoke up. I am, Captain. Your first watch. Yes, Captain. Where are we in the rotation? First up is 1800, then second. Third section has it tomorrow morning at 0600. So you're just running a straight three-watch rotation? Yes, Captain. I assume the second mate has a second watch? Yes, Captain. I turned to Chief Gearhart. You were on last night. You have third watch. Is that normal? She looked up rather uneasily. Actually, no. I was on because Mr. Maloney made me acting captain. She shrugged apologetically. Makes sense. Thank you. I'll take that watch tomorrow. Please concentrate on making sure the ship is ready for departure. Are we getting underway, Captain? Chief Gearhart seemed surprised by the notion. We don't make any money tied up to the dock, Miss Gearhart. Well, yes, but I thought you'd need more time to get used to this ship. Well, I think I'll have a lot of time to get used to the ship while we're underway. What's our next port of call, Mr. Wyatt? Captain? Where are we going next, Mr. Wyatt? I'm sure I don't know, Captain. You don't have a cargo? He seemed almost bewildered by the question. I haven't been given one yet, no. Given one? He shrugged. Well, of course. 
I get cargo assignments from the office. You wait for them to give you a cargo assignment. Well, sure. How else, Captain? You are aware that this is a free trade port. Cargos are up for availability all the time here. Well, of course, Captain. But you wait for DST to tell you which ones to take? Well, yes, Captain. How else would I know which ones might be profitable? Thank you, Mr. Wyatt. Let me get back to you on that. Of course, Captain. I took a deep breath and pushed the remains of my lunch away. I'd lost my appetite suddenly. Okay, people. I need to plug into the ship's systems for time this afternoon. Then I plan to spend the evening with my wife. I'll be back aboard in time to relieve second watch in the morning. Today's the 8th. Assume we'll be underway no later than the 11th. Miss Thomas perked up at that. Where are we going, Captain? I'll get back to you on that. I need to check a few things first. Can you do that, Captain? Do what, Miss Thomas? Just decide to leave without knowing where? I considered the overhead and laid a finger on my cheek in a studied pose of consideration. Yes? Actually, I, I think I can. What I need from you all, and Mr. Paul when I catch up with him, is the assurance that this ship is ready to get underway. I didn't want to alarm them, so I didn't hold out for assurances that we wouldn't all die before we arrived. I was beginning to think that they doubted their mortality, collectively and individually. They looked around at each other again, looking faintly impressed. I decided I needed to have a little chat with my new friend, Philip Delman. After, I cracked open the ship systems and had a good look about in the belly of the beast. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. FairHealth for older adults understands that healthcare decisions are life-changing decisions, strategic decisions, shared decisions. FairHealthForOlderAdults.org provides financial and educational information for older adults and caregivers planning for a treatment, procedure, or ongoing condition. FairHealth for Older Adults, healthy decisions for healthy aging. Explore FairHealthOlderAdults.org today. Campaign generously funded by the John A. Hartford Foundation. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. So you need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person, and I appreciate you, and I know exactly what you like, all at the same time. Well, Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Chapter 17, Diurnia Orbital, 2372, January 9th. Around 13.30, I settled into the watch station on the bridge. 
The ship only had four stations, helm, watch, systems, and engineering. There wasn't enough to the ship, or the crew for that matter, to need more. Before I dug in, I fired off an intership message to Delman on the Tinker with an invitation to dinner at Jimmy's up on Eight Deck, my treat. They had good fish, better steaks, and the freshest greens on the orbital. They also weren't cheap, but it was petty cash compared to the value of the information I needed from Captain Delman. The watch terminal wasn't configured to swap divisional display, so I took a page from my old skill set and patched it so it could. In reality, that only meant taking out the block that somebody else had put in. There wasn't really any reason for that capability to be blocked on the bridge. All the displays were visible from the captain's chair. I looked over to it and realized that the chair didn't actually have any displays of its own. It made a certain sense. I scanned the personnel records first and didn't find anything I hadn't expected. Only the ratings had any serious black marks, and the officers were all running in the marginal to average in their performance ratings. Engineering status and reports confirmed what Chief Gerhardt had said over lunch. Even her assessment of the tankage was right on the money. I didn't see a single thing in the whole division that looked out of place, beyond parameter, or otherwise blemished. I wondered why she only got middling ratings. I pulled up the ship's stores and ran through the spare parts and comestibles. Looked okay, and I was about to flip the display over to check into the astrogation updates when something odd caught my eye. We had food enough. Headcount, calorie availability, and durations were all consistent. I looked again and realized it was all the same food. According to the inventory, the pantry was stocked with about six or seven variations on the same sets of canned goods. The freezer inventory held luncheon meat and what looked like a bunker load that was almost at its expiration date. I ran a quick cross-reference against procurement and realized that the freezers were full of stuff that had never been used. All but a few dozen kilograms of goods from the original procurements were still in the freezers. While I was there, I checked to see what else the ship had purchased. Standard rates on docking fees, fuel, water, consumable supplies, and replacement gases were in order. On a quick Mark I eyeball inspection, the system's records looked correct. A physical inventory of the freezers and pantries was definitely in order, but if the condition of the stores was anything like the inventory indicated, we had some serious issues. I pulled up the comms net and sent a message directly to Wyatt's tablet. If you'd join me on the bridge at your earliest convenience. While I waited, I decided to check the ship's manifest record as well. I wasn't sure what I'd find, but since I was going to have the cargo chief for a little face time, it seemed a logical thing to do. The record was highly underwhelming, with the median port stay being six days, and the average just over seven. The manifests were the commonest cargoes, nothing very high value, no priorities. A tractor like the Agamemnon could make half again as much on a voyage by taking a high-priority, high-value cargo like pharmaceuticals or electronic spares. As such, those cargos were very popular and much in demand. It took a sharp cargo man to grab them up because everybody was looking for them. The Agamemnon carried low-value, low-priority cargo that probably should have gone in a mixed freight container on a larger ship. My tablet bipped, and I opened the inbox to find that Philip Delman had accepted my dinner offer. The timestamp made me look at the chronometer on the screen, and I realized that my cargo chief had not yet reported to the bridge. I sighed. It's no wonder the ratings are always in trouble. 
I muttered it under my breath, and I hoped nobody was there to hear it. I found Wyatt in the galley, pushing a broom around. Mr. Wyatt, did you not receive my message? Message, Captain. Apparently not. Is your tablet malfunctioning? He looked surprised. I don't think so, Captain. Why? I was beginning to understand a great deal more about why the Agamemnon was the worst ship in the fleet, and it had nothing to do with the ratings. Because I sent you a message, Mr. Wyatt. That message should have resulted in your tablet alerting you, so you would have known that a message had been delivered to you. He smiled. Oh, well, in that case, let me check. He stowed the broom and headed out of the galley. Surprised, I followed him out, up to officer's country and into his stateroom where he opened his graph trunk and took out the tablet, still bipping for attention. He held it up for me to see. No, Captain, not malfunctioning. Can you tell me why your tablet is stowed in your graph trunk, Mr. Wyatt? Safekeeping, of course. I'm terribly clumsy, Captain. I've dropped a couple of them already and broken them. I keep this one here in my graph trunk to keep it safe. I see. He started to put the tablet, still bipping, back into the graph trunk. Mr. Wyatt, you have a message. Don't you think you should read it? I assumed you'd tell me since you're already here, Captain. He said it so reasonably. What if mine was not the only message, Mr. Wyatt? He shrugged in acknowledgement. Excellent point, Captain. He lifted it up and tapped the key to bring up the display. Oh, I see. Do you still want me to join you on the bridge, Captain? He started to put the tablet back in the trunk. You did go to the academy, didn't you, Mr. Wyatt? Of course, Captain. Where were you before you came here as chief? I did most of my time with Salzman Shipping. Worked on almost every one of their leviathans at one point or another. Finally worked up to chief, but they had no openings. So I wound up here. How long have you been with DST, Mr. Wyatt? Two stanniers next April, Captain. Your last performance review wasn't great. Did Captain Delman talk with you about that? Oh, yes, Captain. We had a nice discussion about initiative and entrepreneurial spirit. I can see that conversation had a large effect on your outlook and attitudes, Mr. Wyatt. It did, Captain. I'm always on the lookout for new opportunities. I haven't found any yet, but I'm always looking. Mr. Wyatt, please keep your tablet near you at all times. You don't need to have it in the holster, but when I send you a message, I really need to know that you're likely to read it. He looked doubtful. Captain Delman used to just page me on the announcer. Somewhat inconsiderate of watchstanders, isn't it, Mr. Wyatt? I suppose so, Captain. I never really thought of it. Think of it, Mr. Wyatt. Now, Captain? Mr. Wyatt, please forgive this question. Are you on drugs? Intoxicated? Anything like that? He didn't seem offended by the question, although he did appear surprised. Why? No, Captain. Why do you ask? What was your graduation rank in the academy, Mr. Wyatt? Well, you know the old joke, Captain. What do they call the officer who graduates last in his class? I supplied the answer with growing dread. Sar. He beamed. So you have heard it. Were you always planning to be cargo? No, I was originally deck. What happened, Mr. Wyatt? My second-year advisor told me that if I wanted to stay in the academy, I needed to change to cargo. Was any reason given? My grades were low and the evaluations were marginal. Any idea why that might have been, Mr. Wyatt? 
Well, the work was rather boring, and the instructors thought I was simple in the head. Are you? Simple in the head? I don't think so, Captain, but if I were, I probably wouldn't know, because I'd be too stupid to tell. If I weren't, it wouldn't occur to me to think it. Do you know the freezers are full of food that's about to expire? Yes, Captain, but we haven't ever used any of it, and Captain Delman never gave me any instructions on disposal. According to regulations, we're required to have all that food in the freezer, but I'm not sure why, since we've never used any of it in all the time I've been aboard. You've been handling the mess chores the whole time you've been aboard? No, Captain, it's only been since my performance reviews, really. Up till then, meals were rather catch-as-catch-can. After the talk about initiative and entrepreneurial spirit, I determined that I would do that to demonstrate. Now I handle stores and fix meals. The pantry is full of canned goods. The freezers are full of food you don't use. Are all the meals about like what I saw at lunch today? Oh, no, Captain, that was just import lunch. And underway it's different. Of course, Captain. I almost relaxed. Then he added, Underway I'd open two cans of soup. I should have seen that coming. I scrubbed my face with my hands. Are the inventories correct, Mr. Wyatt? The systems and the lockers actually match? Oh, yes, Captain. I inventory them every trip. There's not much else for cargo chief to do. Between you and me, it seems rather a waste, but the regulations say I need to be here. I was beginning to get a suspicion about Mr. Wyatt. It was unsettling, but less unnerving than surface appearance. Tell me, Mr. Wyatt, how exactly do you get cargoes for the ship? Well, after we've been in port a couple days, I call the local DST affiliate and ask for dispatch. I tell them who I am, and they give me a manifest. We get the cargo and go where it needs to be delivered. Avery. Can I call you Avery? Sure, Captain. That's my name. Avery, I'm going to suggest something. Are you doing anything this afternoon? Sweeping the galley, Captain. I want you to plan menus. What kind of menus, Captain? Our menus. Sit down with a calendar, and for every day, put down everything you'd serve for every meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a midnight snack. Well, that sounds easy enough, Captain. Well, I'm going to make it a little more difficult. You can't have the same meal in any 14-day period. He blinked owlishly. 14-day period? How many days' worth of menu do you want me to do? How long does it take the Agamemnon to go from here to, say, Welliver? I have no idea, Captain. Weeks. Maybe eight weeks. I took a deep breath and tried to stay focused in the face of diffusion. Okay, I want you to do menus for 60 days. Every day, three meals, plus the midnight snack, and you can't serve the same meal twice in a 14-day period. He was nodding as if he really was understanding what I was saying. I needed to add one more caveat. And you can't serve the same meal more than three times in the 60 days. What do you mean by midnight snack, Captain? Well, that can be just something that the midwatch can grab when they wake up and go on watch. It doesn't have to be a sit-down meal. It could be some fruit or a sandwich, even soup that could be heated quickly in the microwave. Any other restrictions on the meals? Try to keep the caloric distribution even across the three meals. I want to see traditional breakfast foods in the morning, and I'd like to see a full three-course meal at noon in the evening. That means super salad, a main entree with two side dishes, and a dessert. I know what a three-course meal is, Captain. Sorry, I'm just thinking out loud here, Avery. I wasn't sure what I meant myself, so I was just saying it to see if I knew. Okay, how soon do you want these? And do the meals need to be something I can cook or just anything that sounds good? Let's start with anything that sounds good, and I'd like the whole thing by morning. Tomorrow morning, Captain? 
Yes, Avery, I'd like to review the menu list when I take over the watch at 0600. Aye, aye, Captain. Do you think you can do that? By morning, Captain? Of course. I could probably have it done in a stand. Really? His look of confidence started fading. Well, I don't know, Captain, but yes, I think so. Well, Avery, if you think you can run up 60-day menus in a stand, then I believe you. And if you'd send that to my tablet when you're done, I'd appreciate it. Sure thing, Skipper. I'll let you get on with that then, Mr. Wyatt. I look forward to seeing your solution. I left Mr. Wyatt clipping his tablet to his belt and headed for the log. I needed to see someone in cargo dispatch about a cargo. DST's main office was on the 05 deck, and it didn't take me more than five ticks to go up from the lock to the office. The counter clerk looked up when I opened the door and stepped in. Captain, how can I help you? I'm Ishmael Huang off Agamemnon, and I'd like to talk to somebody in cargo dispatch. The clerk looked confused. Cargo dispatch, Captain? I'm not sure what you mean. I was talking to my cargo chief about a cargo for us. He said he gets his cargoes by calling the local office and asking for cargo dispatch, who then gives him a manifest. Oh, Agamemnon, of course, Mr. Wyatt. A lovely man, but he sometimes needs a bit of assistance, Captain. What assistance exactly do you render? Oh, he calls once in a while, and I just pull up the pending freight queue for him and give him the first one on the list that Agamemnon can carry. So it's just luck of the draw, whatever might be in the free trade list at the time? Pretty much, Captain. Is there any reason why he couldn't do that himself? None in the least. In fact, all the other ships chase down their own cargoes. All we ask is that they file a flight plan so we know where they're going. All but Mr. Wyatt. Yes, lovely man. But as I say, he sometimes needs just a little help. Thank you. That clears up a bit of confusion I had. DST wouldn't have any problems if we started tracking down our own cans. Just file the flight plans and don't lose money. The clerk smiled brightly. Is there anything else, Captain? You've been very helpful, thank you. Five ticks later, and I was back aboard. When I passed through the lock, Mr. Schubert said, Welcome back, sir. Thank you, Mr. Schubert. Any problems? None, Captain. All shipshape in Bristol fashion. Carry on, Mr. Schubert. Aye, sir. I tried not to smile, but then I remembered the freezers, and I didn't feel like smiling. The main galley freezers and stores were just behind a galley. I found the passage easily enough and walked back to do a fast inventory myself. The canned goods in the pantry were a bit distressing. Not a lot of variety there. But when I started actually thinking about how they might be augmented, some of the soups would make a good base for something more exciting. A lot of the staples that I'd normally expect to see dried and loose were just cooked and in cans. Not my preferred mode, but they could be made to serve. The chillers were almost completely devoid of root crop vegetables and tree fruits. They were, in fact, almost completely devoid of everything. I don't remember ever seeing chillers so empty. The freezers were my real concern. That was a lot of food, and the dates on it were very near. Most of it would be beyond expiration within the next 90 days, and all of it would be gone by 120. When I got to the freezers, though, I almost laughed. Standard freezers operate at about minus 20 centigrade. Food kept frozen there will stay safe from bacteria and decay almost indefinitely. Degradation in food quality really happens when foods become freezer-burned, desiccated by extended freezing, or if the temperature isn't maintained at a constant level. The shipboard freezers were not standard freezers. If the gauges over the doors were correct, they were running at minus 50. At that temperature, the foodstuffs would probably be safe for decades 
or until the power was cut. I opened one and peeked in. It was full. I recognized some of the cartons, and they were all pristine, no sign of condensation, freezer rime, or other symptoms that would indicate that there might be a problem. I slammed the heavy door shut before much of the cold air had a chance to escape and vowed to spot-check the inventories. But between the canned goods and the freezers, we had plenty of food. We might get bored, but we wouldn't starve, and that would give us time to rotate some of this frozen stock. The knot in my gut began to unwind before I remembered it was just the first day, and it wasn't over yet. Thanks for listening to Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is the Mason's Apron and is used with permission of the artist J.F. Archer. Find this and other works by J.F. Archer at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com.